0: is ChaosCast, the chaos community podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the community health analytics, open source software, or short chaos project
1: to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain a community of open-source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open-source. Learn more at sustainoss.org.
2: Hello, and welcome back to ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast. We're here to share use cases and experiences with measuring open-source community health. On the panel today, we have Georg. Hello, how are you?
0: Hello, Vinya. Good to be back. My name is Georg Link, co-founder of the Chaos Project and super excited for today's episode.
2: Myself, Benia, I am the founder for socially constructed.online and a regular here on the Chaos
3: Cast. And we have Lori. Hello, I'm the, the developer community lead at IndieKite and really happy to be here. And we have two wonderful guests. I met them
2: during an amazing talk at the community spaces. We have Vicky and
4: Bree here. How are you both doing? I'm Vicki and I'm doing fabulously here in Denver. And I founded a community development consultancy called Adventures of Community. Wonderful.
5: And Bree, yeah. Hi, my name is Bree. I'm here in Portland, Oregon, but I like to spend most of my time in Hawaii. And I am a community architect. I started business Ember several years ago and I partner with product-led brands to help them become community-led. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Yeah.
2: I love how the community architect's role is starting to just pervade the entire industry. It's getting a lot more common to see.
5: Yeah, I definitely saw it. I saw it first in the book, Belong. or Is it belonging or belong? Anyways, I saw it and I was like, I'm going to steal that (laughs) for myself. (laughs) It's
4: amazing.
2: (laughs) So for this episode, we seem to have a meandering set through metrics for open source community health. But just to get started, we would really love to know, how did you get started in community? Where did your specific love of community come from?
5: <laughs> well, gosh, it's been my whole life in some respects. My, I grew up in a bed and breakfast, like pre-Airbnb. My, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, deep in Amish country. And so there were just always people around. Always, always, always. <laughs> but my parents are like fabulous hosts. They're always hosting groups and they're in education. So they are people, people. And so I feel like I picked up a lot of my community stuff just naturally from yeah. them growing up. But formally, I started my first role in community right after school and or graduating from university. I moved to Portland, Oregon to work for a small and scrappy startup called Seiko at the time. And we they essentially hired me to create a community of their customers where we helped Customers become advocates for the brand, share the story. It was a social enterprise based out of Uganda as like a, an educational way for women and girls in Uganda to go to university with the savings they made from working with the company. So there was a whole mission and story at Vision Aligned. And we, I was essentially tasked to create a community out of our top customers who would share that story and talk about the product in their communities. So I did that for seven years and it was Uh, really (laughs) incredible. I loved the role and when I was finished, I was really tired (laughs) and I finished my job. I wrapped up and I left a week before the pandemic hit. So I was like over in Europe at the time. And I think I made it back like a couple days before COVID hit and like all the international borders shut down. And so that was a wild ride. And I eventually through several kind of workshops and amazing mentors who ported to me, realized that What I had been doing with creating community out of a customer base was something that can be applied to many different brands and started, I had hundred coffees in 90 days and found my first like year and a half of clients. (laughs) And since then my language has evolved and I understand so much better how to articulate what I do for brands. But now that's kind of led me to creating community-led or helping product-led brands become community-led. So that's how I got here. I'll go next. I think I've always been doing community. I
3: just didn't know that there was a name for it. I grew up in a fairly community-oriented family. We volunteered a lot and I just started doing events in college and then after college and really doing fundraising and things like that and creating community that way. And then my last job, which was also in the identity and access management space, there had been several attempts that were not terribly successful to get a community going. So we started off doing a developer portal and I kind of got volunteered to do it. And I was really excited because I could work with developers, yay, and... I could learn Drupal and Acquia and Wistia and really try to provide value to folks that way. And that did really well. And then started pitching the idea of a community community and got some buy-in from the C-suite and got that going. And now I'm looking for an open source Company The the job I just left was open source for a little while, and I'm actually very, very fond of open source. So now I'm building a really strong for developers by developers kind of community. And I really have been very persistent about getting certifications and taking classes and being involved in different community associations and organizations. So I think it's very important to be involved with that. And one of the things that I like to be involved with besides chaos is also Venya has a Discord server and I really like being involved in that. There's a book club, there's always conversations. I keep meeting really interesting
4: people. So that's my story. It's amazing. There's community just around everyone's lives, like not just your day-to-day, but also in your personal lives, which I think is probably our trademark. (laughs) So I grew up as an only child, just in my nuclear family, no pets, no cousins, no everybody else. It was pretty lonely. And I that I tended toward group activity and I slowly, but also quickly, because I am an extrovert, as Bree and I just chatted about an hour ago, I would wrangle. I'm a wrangler. I wrangle people and... It didn't take, it took until more recently for me to really put together the thread throughout my life of all the communities I have either brought together, managed, overseen, started, ended, camp counselor vibes for sure. Definitely me and my life and my big three jobs, big girl jobs. One was at a nonprofit for first responders and then I worked at a remote year and then I was at osmosis, which is more digital. The first two were in person. I essentially did a community management at all of those roles, but they were not, the word community was not in them, right? It took until more recently for that to be obvious, gilded, patterned thread that went through everything I did. And I started living in a van and couldn't really handle working at osmosis anymore online. And I chose to resign and start my own consultancy. And osmosis was my first client, which I am forever grateful and they're still my client. So... Yeah, now I love being able to work more intentionally with and on projects as opposed to super long term at one place, which I found is not really my bread and butter. And yeah, you know what I mean? Like project based is fun. It's exciting. It's different. It's a wild ride. And I garner a lot of joy from that. So and also I mentor so I have like packaging, but also on the side for newbie community managers, I work with them one on one, which certainly doesn't pay the bills, but it is much more fulfilling than anything else. So I I hope that I will do that till the end of time. And that's, I think I've rounded us up
5: with the background stories. Vicky also had, she's like got a side hustle for her side hustle. So if you're ever oh, in yeah. need of a side hustle. I always have
4: side hustle. I'm looking at my whiteboard of my side hustles listed because sometimes I forget <laughs> all the things that I do. And yes, we can talk about that at any time.
2: Are you one of those people with six Etsy shops?
4: Not Etsy, but like I have a drop shipping store. I a dog board on Rover. We're starting this like little combined thing. We're doing. I'm creating a retreat. Like, do you want me to blog? I can write. I'll just do whatever you need. Yeah, definitely.
0: I can also share my story a little bit since we are new here with some with guests, and I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before. I I grew up in Germany, and I've been involved in many different things. Since the early days, I love to volunteer for things. In high school and college, I've been on student government and been elected for different functions. And then outside of that, in the humanitarian space, I've been volunteering with federal agency for technical relief. For German listeners, it's the THB, Technisches Hilfswerk, It's an agency in Germany that goes out when disaster hits and we need volunteers with additional equipment. So the government provides the heavy equipment, the trucks, the chainsaws, whatever is needed. And then the volunteers step up and are available in case of emergency. I really enjoyed my time doing that. And when I came to the U.S., I continued volunteering with the American Red Cross. And my fascination with open source and communities online started during high school when I got my first computer, got online and was looking for something to get involved in. And I fell with the OpenOffice.org project because I was using it. So I was like, okay, let's see how I can help out. I was doing the quality assurance for the German version a little bit and helping out here and there. And then Oracle bots on microsystems. And the community went like, wow, what's going on? And Oracle was like nothing, crickets. And so the community formed the Document Foundation, renamed, rebranded the project as LibreOffice to continue using it because they didn't have the trademark rights. And this resiliency in the community just fascinated me and it really impressed on me. So when I had a chance during my PhD to choose any topic that I could, I dove into open source communities, the sustainability, the health. What does it take for communities to be really this resilient and healthy? And How does it work in today's world where companies are involved in open source? Anyway, that's my background. That's why we started chaos a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah. And I mean, chaos is a lot about measurement and metrics and the software that's involved. I mean, it's an open source community, right? But in its phrasing, it says online community hell. It really is very much so about what is the health of the individual coming into the community look like? What is the health of their interactions between small groups and larger groups? What is the health of the overall culture that's being produced in and among open source projects that use the metrics? And I think that that is an incredible lesson to take. From all of our community experiences. I personally came from queer communities, specifically working with anonymous, closeted, under-resourced LGBTQ people who couldn't be out yet and didn't want to be measured, but still required resources. So there's this notion throughout all of that of the health taking precedence over the numbers. And yet we spend so much time talking about the numbers for good reason, right? Because that's what it's representing for brands and businesses. So I think that allows us to kind to transition really easily into discussions of metrics and numbers. We have some brilliant community architects on the line, amazing consultants. So let's have that discussion about what numbers really mean for our brands and what they'll mean for open source
4: health afterward. Yay. Sweet. I nominate Lori to kick it off. (laughs) Volunteers? LOL. Okay. Let's see. So... Metrics and data, I'm not going to lie, it's not my favorite place to be, but it's a necessity in community management. So I had to learn how I can view metrics and data and also why it would be imperative in the communities that I also saw, particularly when I was at remote year and osmosis, which was on different because it was online and the other one was in real life, which have almost two different sets of metrics. And it wasn't until I had a mentor at osmosis when I shared that I lacked in this area, it was a bit of a weakness of mine, but I, I needed to improve it. And she said, well, why don't you make a story out of the numbers that you have been collating? And I thought, oh, well, the only way I know how to write a story is like with literature, like a literary story, like write it down. <laughs> I thought for some reason she meant some other newfangled way I had no idea about to write a story down. And she said, yeah, however story comes to your mind. So she shared her screen and we actually went through metrics that I'd started tracking. And because I was with the medical student community, it was semester by semester versus like quarter over quarter or year over year. And we were able to... I'm also a team of one and I had no help. And my manager really didn't tell me what to track. So I just had everything on this Google sheet that I was tracking over the course of time. And I worked with my mentor and she said, well, what do you think are the most important 10 things. And I highlighted them in the Google Sheet and then took the, I looked at those numbers just sitting back at the screen and she gave me the homework of writing out a story in a Google Doc with words as though it was a story. Through the course of time at this community, what have you found? And actually that changed the entire game of metric collation, viewing and understanding. It it allowed me to feel dumb. I, honestly, I felt some imposter syndrome and dumb and weak in these areas that I felt so many community managers had such a head start, I guess, than I did. And that's not true in retrospect. Everybody has their own weaknesses in their arenas, right? And this has been a game changer for me. I use it all the time now. And I also use it with clients. And I think even with them, it allows... It just allows you to bring your curse of knowledge off the table and go back down to kindergarten and be like, so this is what is what. And it is a framework, essentially, that I use now. So I don't know if anybody else has any actual frameworks that they use. I would be intrigued to know because I actually don't talk about this very much with other community managers.
5: I love that idea. I think
4: I that
5: love it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> that is... And I almost... In my, my mind, like, applied, like, a fantastical layer over it of, like, once upon a time, there was a community that, like, that's kind of... Course, of start. course, I think that's how it would probably start. There'd be some unicorns and be, like, it'd be a really fun story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It adds that layer of context where you get the opportunity to actually explain how did we arrive at these numbers. That's something that we keep hearing in conversations a lot that give me a number and, okay, is it good? Is it bad? What How was it last year? Okay, maybe I have a graph that I can see how it changed, but then why did it change? And so telling that story of the community and backing that up with the data you've been collecting is such an awesome approach.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure if anyone's actually seen it yet. I'm going to post it. And for listeners, the link will actually be in the show notes below. There's this absolutely incredible story that Morning Brew had told about like the progression of their community. And it's like all interactive and all you do is roll down it and it's like this PDF slide notes thing. It's absolutely incredible. And it's just telling a story along a timeline that's just like, this time, this is where we were and then we were this. But it's the most beautiful way i've seen anyone really present their metrics as a
4: report instead of a dashboard. Absolutely. That actually brings even another thought of you can make it an infographic and you can make a graph and you can add words there are so many different ways that you could make it visual for those of us that are less numbers side of the brain. But this is like
5: a little meta for me because one of the communities I'm managing right now is a community for the company PictoChart, which specializes in like storytelling through data. (laughs) So they're like a Canva, but for like specifically with like data and infographics. So (laughs) I'm like thinking about how do I report the community metrics for PictoChart in a story using their tool?
4: (laughs) It sounds like your kind of whimsical world. <laughs>
5: totally. Okay. So I'm curious then,
4: you'll have slight
2: inside scoop on PictoChart. How do they tend to manage their metrics? Do they do anything interesting with you or?
5: Yeah. So on the community front, we just launched more recently. So it's... I always hesitate to like overanalyze your community like super early on, but I'm really big on testing your false assumptions, and mostly because like your sample size might just not be big enough to start to see some of those trends. So my focus for when because I'm partnering with and we worked together for several months to architect and launch their community and. In that time, my, my biggest thing, and maybe this connects to what Vicky was saying with storytelling. Like, I think the question I ask is like, what's the story I'm telling myself? And not that that is truth, but that's trying to discover what are the assumptions that I'm making. And so I use that tool in like my own personal life too, of like, if I've had conflict with someone and I'm like, okay, the story I'm telling myself is this. And they're like... Okay, so here's how that doesn't line up with the story that I'm telling myself. So really that that question of what's the story you're telling yourself can help underlie or help uncover some of those assumptions that you might be making about the community. So for example, we have like projected essentially KPIs for the program. And with each KPI, I just like typed out really clearly what's like the assumption that we're making in order for us to like get that projection. So we're assuming that if we send an email blast to this segment of customers, we're assuming that X percent of them are going to resonate with that message and are going to click on the link and join the community. So that way, it's less important to me whether or not... I mean, it is important to the numbers, but what's even more critical is the learning journey that you have and the story that unfolds from those numbers based on the assumptions that you've made. And so that's something that I've revisited time and again. But in general, working with the chart team, they are... um, It's really incredible because they're very... They're super data-driven, but they all have a, a deep care and commitment to translating that into a digestible narrative. So I don't know if they do what you said, Vicky, but I need to pass it on to them.
4: For sure. And maybe I need to use them too.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So one thing you
0: said caught my attention, you said you are highlighting the learning journey and you're looking for metrics around that. And I'm wondering, for one, what do you consider the learning journey and what kinds of stories do you find yourself telling with the metrics that you have? Stories around the growth of the community, the stories around different activities that are being done in the community. How do you weave all that together? And what are those metrics that you're weaving in with those learning journeys?
5: Oftentimes, what I'm trying to <laughs> weave in and what I'm trying to let the metrics help me suss out is who are the leaders in this community? Who are the people who are most engaged? And I find myself falling into the trap of the assumption that, like, everyone's going to love this and everyone is going to, <laughs> or like making assumptions about the level activity based off of like the full volume of the community rather than making assumptions about activity based on the, like, what I call the top 20%. So, I'm a big believer in the Pareto principle, which is that 80% of the causes come from 20% of the effects. And so I've actually started to use that more. Like I was working with a client a couple of weeks ago and they were like, we're talking about growth and recruiting. And they were like, okay, so we have like 20 initial members. And we are like, they're like, if every one of those 20 initial members brings on 10 more members, we're going to, our community will be this big. And I was like, that's one way of looking at it. But and this is more on the projection side than there's this like setting your metrics, <laughs> like how do we estimate how we're going to grow? And I challenge them to think about it more from an 80-20 rule. So if the 80-20 rule would say that 20% of those initial 20 members are going to bring on 80% of your new members, if that's how you're like designing your program. So 20% of 20, somebody do some math for me. I won't tell you that I was a math minor <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> My teachers would be so embarrassed. Okay. So four of your members, if you have 20 members, four of them are going to be bringing in 80% of your new recruits. So if that's, if you're hoping that's going to be a hundred people, 80 of them are going to come from those four. So I'm just, that's like one of the ways where it's kind of unfolded for me of like, okay, learn from our past assumptions that we've made and apply those to our new assumptions that we're making. And it might not be exactly right, but I'm more interested in like trying to find a thread that is consistent, which is in my role, it's difficult because every community is a little bit different. So you can't just necessarily say the assumptions that worked from this community are going to look for the next ones. But does that give a good example?
0: You had everything in there. You had the metrics in there. How do you move them together? Tell the story, how you set the goal for certain metrics, the 80-20 rule that you are also thinking about. What do these metrics actually then mean and how do we carry forward? So I think you had it all in there.
1: While open-source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open-source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open-source software too? Well, in the Sustained community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open-source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, And the rest of the time, we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at SustainOSS.org and SustainOSS on Twitter.
2: I do think it's interesting. past three conversations we've had throughout this podcast seem to have a trend, which I think is rather ironic because one of the people that I follow for measurement, Chris Mercer, one of his main statements is that no one is a numbers person. The only reason numbers people are numbers people is because they have better understanding in their mind's eye of what the numbers are actually representing. So it's easier for them to pick out trends and patterns. And that's where a large majority of the metrics development is. The whole idea is to benchmark, then compare against those benchmarks so that you could forecast to predict what's happening. And the way that he phrases it is truth is in the trend, power is in the pattern. And I love how all of our stories just illustrate that so perfectly.
5: And can I add something to that? The power is in the pattern. And it makes me think of, have you guys read Think Again? It's basically like communicating the value of changing our beliefs over time. And he talks about it in the context of your metrics. So thinking again about, well, what are the right things that we should even be tracking? And you said the power is in the pattern and I want I like some sort of catchy phrase, like, and the warning is like in the rut <laughs> of like, or like, but be aware of the rut. Cause it's like you get in, and this is what I've experienced of like, well, these are the metrics that we pull. Well, these are the metrics that we pull. And you just get into this rut of like, of not being willing to take a step back and look at the actual story that's being told and asking, are there different metrics that might eliminate this story in a different way that we haven't explored yet? Oh yeah, Adam Grant.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I adore that. The idea of truth is in the trends, power is in the pattern, the problems are in the red. (laughs) You nailed that. Yeah. And for all of our listeners, if you are curious about that book, it is actually by Adam Grant. Again, the link will be in the show notes. So
0: thank you, Pri, for sharing all that. Vicky, what kind of metrics do you find yourself using? What kind of stories are you telling with those stories?
4: Sure. So I'll go with the what kind of stories first and I'm pretty big traveler. So I have found that the cultural adjustment graph, if you've ever seen it before, I can share a link and essentially it's honeymoon crisis recovery adjustment. And this is how people have viewed, for example, if you move to a new country, if you're studying abroad, if you're joining a blended family, if, right, like all types of kind of, if you're joining a new school, if you're the new kid, all these types of experiences that people tend to go through solo, surrounded by potential community. And this is why I laughed earlier about I'm definitely an engagement and trapper because I have been primarily overseeing communities where engagement is the biggest metric that makes sense and also that people people want to see at the company, right? So at remote year, I oversaw a group of 50 digital nomads moving around the world for a month, every month to a different international city. So because we were together as a group of 50 for an entire full year, the honeymoon crisis recovery and adjustment phases lasted three or so months each. And when you're heading on that down curve of crisis. That is the area where the engagement metrics matter, because you want to see them come back up to more recovery, and what will that entail? <laughs> I sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, "Yikes." yeah. <laughs> but I have found myself thinking about stories in this. Graft trajectory way, which makes sense for my visual mind. So even earlier when you were talking about how no one's really a numbers person, but what comes to mind are sheets and sheets of numbers and someone's just sending you in an attachment in an email, like, take a look at these numbers and tell me what you see. Yeah. So I just have found that the honeymoon crisis, recovery adjustment phases make the most sense. I think it could be for many communities actually. And I try to create a story that looks like that from the numbers that I see. And sometimes I do need help, but sometimes maybe I'm not seeing it. And and i have become accustomed to asking for help in those ways, but I'm looking for gaps in NPS scores from month to month or semester to semester, how whatever the cadence is, quarter over quarter. I am looking for right now, I'm working at a pre-seed app. So I'm gonna be looking for depth of time they're in this app versus the typicals of apps in this arena across the board. So I'm doing a little comparative factor there. I'm looking at how many DMs are being sent amongst members because I am of the model from Tatiana Figueredo, the big group, small group, one-on-one. So you're in big group and you want to get people to funnel more toward a feeling of familiarity and understanding with other like-minded, more intimate kinship group of small, and then moving down to the one-on-one for the deeper take away, maybe we're going to move to our phone and actually text each other. Maybe we'll even meet in real life friends, which is always also the format I'm trying to get toward as well. So there are a few different frameworks at work when I'm looking at the stories now and what it's looking like. And now I think going forward, I would probably like to make the morning infographic way. So yes. Also don't know if that answered the full question, but I wanted to talk about the... (laughs) and I did feel I feel successful with that
5: okay I have to cut in here because I love what you did it feels like you just took your first nugget and like made it even better the, so you, what's the story that these metrics are telling you but yeah. then finding what you did with you matched that to a metaphor that was very emotionally compelling for me like you're like the honeymoon followed by the crisis followed by yeah. so you told the story but in a metaphor that I like could understand and empathize with and so from like a communication standpoint, I'm like, oh man, that, that helps me. I can totally understand outside of the numbers, like how you must have been feeling in work remote or how a member must have been feeling like, That opens up, like, there's so much more we can do with that when we know, like, they were just in the honeymoon and now they're in a crisis. Like, what are the materials that we need to, like, pass on to them to support them? Or what are the events that we can do that help them in that place? Like, I think that jump that you made to the metaphor was, like, extremely powerful.
4: Yeah, visual communication is definitely my thing. Thank you for that.
5: I wanted to talk about where I am. In the
3: past and going forward, I do have to have a lot of interaction with the C-suite and with management. And I think... We were talking about context earlier. I think stories really do provide that context because I can sit here and talk to them about Dao and Mao and all these other things, but that doesn't mean anything to them. But what means something to them is when I say, we had this new user come in and this new user went through this path and spent this amount of time with it. And I believe that this, and then I followed up with this person and said, what do you need? How's it going? And that sort of thing and taking that temperature. So I think that wrapping your data in stories is really important. I also feel that maybe it's my training, maybe it's where I've been that there is so much adherence to what Google analytics says, because that's really the default And I am kind of of the opinion that maybe it isn't. Maybe what Google thinks this is, isn't what it is. So I've been a little bit more focused on watching how people behave rather than trying to put numbers on them. Because that, for me, the observation and of course the experimentation too, feels a lot more valuable to me to see that. So I'm in the, just because Google Analytics says it's engagement doesn't mean it is. And every community manager has to deal with engagement. And I would much rather sit down and have a conversation with management and talk about engagement in ways that may have the numbers behind them but more show the success of the user in terms of how we want them to use our community and what we want them to get out of it. So that's also why I like chaos, because there's lots of other ways of looking at things. And I like to look at things a little bit differently.
5: I love that, Laurie. I was
4: curious, Laurie. what behaviors are you mostly speaking about or which ones come to mind? Well, there's the conflicting behaviors of like the time
3: they spend on your site. Are they spending, say someone spends 10 seconds on your site. Are they spending 10 seconds on your site because they found what they needed and away they go? Or are they spending 10 seconds because I can't find what I'm looking for? This site is horrible. The usability sucks. The navigation sucks. I'm out of here. So things like that. But I'm very curious about what people read and what they respond to. And from a sort of non-metric perspective. What are they reading? What are they sharing with other people? What are they talking about? Because those are the hot ticket items. What gets them excited? What brings value to them? And I really am looking different. Obviously, I'm going to look at the things we have to measure, but I really am looking at what are those patterns? What are the trends? That sort of thing. And then how can I continue to deliver that? So experimentation, observation, fine tuning, reaching out, trying to do reach out in a very personable way that is sort of tailored to the user because some developers, so I work with developers, leave me alone, (laughs) let me figure it out myself. That's cool, I get it, I'm like that too. And some folks want to talk. So really figuring out how people want to be communicated with and sometimes I can outright ask and other times I have to try different approaches until they get a response, if I get a response.
2: Yeah, and I can see Georg is sitting here almost ready for the how does this relate to open source question to pop. And honestly, like when you think about it, when you think about a developer who's just like, right, but you say no one's a numbers person, but I'm a database person. I'm a systemization person. I want to see those numbers. I want to see that dashboard. How do you turn that concept of telling a story and that natural discussion into a dashboard that is more typically seen for people to look at every day and just be like, I just want to pulse track. What are we doing? And I do have an idea, but I wanted to put it to everyone else here on this amazing talk. We have some incredible experts. How would you systematize and turn that story into something that people can query
4: on a weekly basis whenever they need? You mean in like a public facing way? How? I guess we are talking about open source, so you must mean that. The I maybe have done this once. There was a, or maybe there is still a platform called NOLT, N-O-L-T dot I-O, and you can anonymously post either updates or requests or questions and people can upvote them. And this was the only kind of realm that I had that kind of access to when I was at osmosis, which was interesting. It was worth a shot. Maybe not the best, maybe not the best option, but it was certainly an experimental situation. And I tend to go back to things like opening up an Asana board, not allowing people to edit or having more of a Kanban view. It could be on Notion. Bri and I are lovers of Notion, so could certainly easily be on that to show like what's being worked on and how long it'll take and provide all the transparency. So I might consider something in that way. I honestly don't have much experience in it, though.
3: When I used Enterprise Community Platform, there were lots of opportunities to present reports as they looked at on the dashboard or extrapolated from the dashboard. And I really think it's important to be transparent, especially when In any size organization, but especially in larger ones. And I have no problem sharing a dashboard with someone. Obviously, you want to think about what their privileges are and you don't want them to go in there and kind of mess with the back end. But I think it's okay if you're comfortable with it to do show dashboards. I do also, though, see maybe we are getting away a little bit from dashboards and looking at other ways of visualizing data. So I think it's perfectly fine if you're comfortable doing that. And if there are other creative ways that you can visualize data that are meaningful to the recipients and that you feel good about, then go for it. I mean, I'm doing that right now, trying to think, well, how would I display this information in a way that's maybe clever or meaningful or thoughtful? And I'm not sure yet. I have some ideas, but you know, I have to think them through. But transparency is a wonderful thing. And if people want to see the dashboards, And that's how they relate to data. Give them a picture or let them in.
5: Why not? Yeah, I'll add to that, Lori. It's like I hate you guys because I get to talk about all my clients right now. (laughs) Um, But Pixel Chart actually, like, one of the things that I was like so astounded to find from them is you can link dynamic data to the like visual dashboard that you create. So it's like very beautifully you can like design it very beautifully. But then if you're pulling data every week, you can like drop it into a Google Sheet where that data just gets folded to the dashboard. So you could have like a design that lives. That's like, hey, want to know how the community is doing? Like, see what percent of like threads are being opened or how many comments we had this week. And it just automatically updates whenever you update that Google sheet. So for the techie, nerdy ones who want all the numbers, myself included, that's, I think, one way that you can provide the transparency for those numbers, but also maybe bridge the gap a little bit. So it's not just like, here's a sheet of numbers where you want to bridge the gap a little bit into what's the story that's being told. And something that honestly just popped into my brain just hearing this talk was them I'm also working with a client called Heartbeat, which is a community platform. So we're building a community for community builders who are all using this platform to host their communities. And it's a wonderfully transparent space. Like the founder, Mortiza and Mayhole, they're like so transparent with the community, like all the people who are using their product. And like something that they would be totally on board to do would be like each week, saying like, hey, here's like the story we told ourselves about the metrics that we saw from this community. So like we're noticing that people are having more conversations in direct messages than they were on channels this week. And we think that's happening because we had this event which so like I could kind of exactly what you were saying, Vicky, like I could see us posting like that narrative and saying like, what do you think? Like, does this track with your experience? Does it, is this like the antithesis of what you're experiencing in this community, but almost like reflecting, asking them to reflect back, like what is the story that you have actually been experiencing in this community? And does does our story compare and in what ways? That's
4: exactly it. There is not a more beautiful example in the real world than that, honestly, because yes, of course, when you're creating your story and you're looking at the numbers, you need to go to your other tools that you use. Do you have a calendar of events? Did you have guest speakers? Do you have AMAs? Do you have town halls or whatever the case may be to determine at what time those things may have happened to relate to ups and downs and movement of the numbers. And that's where the story really comes into full play.
5: Well, and what never hit me before now was like, but then also reflect that story back to your community to ask them like, is this the story? Yeah. <laughs> maybe someone comments and they're like, yeah, that worked for me. Like I connected with this one person after the event and it was awesome. And then you get more anecdotal evidence as well.
2: Yeah, I don't think anything made me more humble than at one point in time I was working for this company called Keystone Symposia. They did scientific conferences all over the world and we had to go from physical conferences to virtual ones, which required that we completely build all of our new infrastructure. So I went into Google Data Studio and I'm like, let's build this really beautiful report for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They were funding a large majority of our virtual events. And I'm like, here's all of the attendees from all the different worlds. We hit 56 different countries. Here's the breakdown of scholarship recipients versus speakers and organizers. And I broke it down by our customer avatars and I put their faces and I'm like, it's beautiful. And it's active and it's, you can just click on the map and it'll show you the data. And I sent it to the Bill and Melinda Gates Gates Foundation. They're like, can we just get the normal spreadsheet, please? I'm like, ah, oh, but like, why? And what they had was you can add a lot of context. You can add a lot of metrics. You can add a lot of development. But at the end of it all, they're not looking for the absolute chaos of an online community as it's happening. They're looking for the snapshot that says was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant money successful at achieving its goal? And at a certain point in time, you have to be like, okay, what's in it for them? WFIM, what's in it for them? And then you just build all of your stories and all your dashboards and all
0: your metrics on that specific
2: concept. If you're telling a story, do they care?
0: I love that all of you have shared Different tools, and I would invite you to please add them to the show notes so that our listeners can look them, especially Bree, since you were so happy to talk about several of solutions. And I also want to highlight the chaos software that we have for analyzing open source community specifically and collecting the data from GitHub and Jira and Confluence and Wikis and IRC and Slack. So the chaos software, we have two, we have Augur and Remolab, Lab, and they allow collecting all that data in one place. So you don't have to hunt it down and create your own spreadsheets. It's all in one place. And then if you want to write a report or some interactive Way of presenting it then you can use a jupyter notebook which is very much for the developers that you originally asked for Vinya. so not for everyone but it is a nice way of wrapping the data with some context and story around it so i just wanted to add that also that we have the software here in chaos as well the conversation has been really great and i wanted to ask vicky and Re. Where can people find you online if they want to follow your work?
5: Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. My site, Ember, is emberconsulting.co. So people can always, that's where like I most consistently post my thoughts and ramblings in the blog, but it's usually all over the internet if I do my job right.
4: Fabulous. I am on adventuresofcommunity.com and also on LinkedIn. And I write for the Guild, which is ComSource's little writing repository for community managers. So I do write there. And I think that's it. I'm trying to be a Twitter, John. It's not really working. I lurk. I'm there. (laughs) It's not my best work, but I am there.
0: Excellent. And so as we wrap this up, we like to have a segment around value ads, where we share something that has brought value, joy, or meaning to our life recently. And I can kick us off. One open source community that I am very grateful for these weeks is the WordPress community. They have created an amazing platform that has gotten so many users where And it empowers users who have no background on the technical side necessarily of websites, but they're really good with, let's say, marketing and communicating and visual design. And WordPress provides them tools to get those ideas out to people on the internet. And we are right now migrating the Turgia website to WordPress. And I'm just seeing how it really is empowering. This platform is empowering. So thank you to everyone who has worked on WordPress, WordPress modules, plugins, the core, or just there to help others. So thank you.
5: This is like the first thing that pops into my mind. It's not very tangible, but <laughs> I I'm really benefited this whole last year from like an availability for new friends. and I think my like, Maybe two years ago, if you had asked me, like I was still involved in community work, but a lot of my value from community came from, or the value that I got from community came from really close, tight-knit communities that were like not open for application. You know, like my group of really good friends who were super tight, but I've just noticed in this last year, I have been, there have been so many gifts, unexpected gifts from just being open to making new friends and having an availability for myself. It doesn't mean that you don't value those close friendships that have been with you for years and years any less, but just having some availability in my life to make friends in all areas has been really, really valuable for me, especially this last week.
2: I'll go ahead and go next with mine. Over the course of the past two weeks, I went on my first real big solo adventure ride. I'm very much like a motorcyclist, kind of digital nomad person. And on this ADV ride, I'm riding through South Dakota. And the only statements that everyone gave me was, oh, it's boring. Just do a straight shot. You don't need to be on the highway. The dirt roads aren't going to be a thing. It's super, super boring. There's nothing between Sturgis and Sioux Falls. So, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll take some dirt roads anyway. And I got to say, for being incredibly boring farmland, it is incredibly beautiful, boring farmland. And it felt like every aspect of the state was a curated (laughs) flower garden. I had spent all my time in a statewide greenhouse. And I just want to say like the importance of those farming and shovel kind of environments, even though it might be boring, you can still find a lot of pleasure and beauty in some aspects of the law.
3: I would like to continue the gratitude for the open source community that Georg expressed earlier. I've been reading a lot of different newsletters and checking out different tools and seeing how people are thinking differently about expressing technical concepts. Like a few years ago, someone wrote a book like called Kubernetes for kindergartners or something like that. And I've really been starting to think along, how can I do that in my developer community? And I've recently been spending a lot of time with AI and How can I use AI to make the whole experience be more valuable and more thoughtful and loom? So I think my value add is that I'm really grateful that I'm around people who really are lit up by what they're doing and are sharing really neat things that they're doing. And that has been a catalyst for me to try to do something like that too.
4: That's amazing. Lori, my recent value add... (laughs) I have a few, but I will go with the one that makes the most sense for today is volleyball. (laughs) I know it's laughable, but I was living in a van for the past year and I was not really around a lot of people and, you know, pandemic and I lived in a van with my man and we didn't stop anywhere long enough to make friends. So I was definitely devoid of socialization by the time I moved here to Denver in February and I found a meetup group. Meetup is the best and I found a volleyball group and we meet every Sunday and it's extended to three days a week now and this is where most of my friends have come from since living here and it's wonderful and I love it and we don't ask each other what we do. It's very un-New York in that way which I love as well and we're all just enjoying each other's company and asking deeper questions and recognizing patterns in each other and holding each other accountable to goals and dreams and I think that that gets to be translated into the communities we oversee. Because at the end of the day, I do believe that communities, dependent on who is managing, if there is a manager or someone that's perceived at the helm, the community can take on that persona of that person. And if you're consistently working on your person, then the community gets to consistently work on itself as well. So it's a consistently evolving, beautiful, chaotic thing.
2: Wonderful. And honestly, that's probably all we got as we close up this particular podcast episode. Thanks for the wonderful transition there. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, dear listeners, for joining us today. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Chaos Cast. Until next time, join the Chaos community. We've got plenty of other things going on. And if you wanted to be on this podcast, we absolutely welcome it. If you just want to let us know that you're doing something awesome, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode and you have a wonderful chaos day.